some people are intimidated when talking to large numbers of people in an entertaining way. Not Dan and Mike. Yeah? It's just a podcast. Chill out. <laughs> yeah? A brilliant podcast. Okay. Too many quotes. GBH for the year old. <laughs> Not for me, thank you. No apology necessary. Let's get on with the podcast. You know, it's a laugh. And you can't put a price on comedy, so get listening. My life. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I'm going to get it in early. Share it. Yes. Share it. Before you even listen to it, share it, because you yeah. know it's going to be a good one. You know it's a good one. Always. It's me and Mike. We're there. So we are sat here on the 10th of January. Um, in the new year. In the new year, obviously. 20... All, re- all resolutions still being here, of course. Of course. Yeah. Days, one, of, one of my resolutions, golf lesson. Golf lesson. That's a golf lesson today. That's today. From Mike, so... You'll be out on the courses soon, tearing it up, and you have to replace your divots and all that jazz, mate. You have to learn how to no do need. that. No, no need. I don't think I'm making any divots, will I? With the mice mean. I don't think you hit the ball well enough to be fair, to remember that. Well, that's not what the instructor said. Well, what did he say? He said it was your first ass. As soon as we got there, Mike went, oh, I can go over there, away from him. He's my mate. Yeah. You can go away from him. No, I think he did. He's And he just, he was just like, okay, it's your first lesson. You know, show me how to, to hold it. Sure, he did. You know, I already knew. But I let him have his, I let him have his 10 minutes. And uh, I pinged the first ball and he said, fuck off. He said, this ain't your first session. I said, it is. He said, I, I can't believe it. Are you a natural? He said, I said, really? Do you think I'm a natural? He said, yeah. He said, like, literally, you keep going like this. Like, give yourself six months, seven months, something like that. You could probably be a touring pro. And I said, nah. Maybe she has money out of nutrition. Maybe she doesn't have money coaching, don't worry about that. Like, this is a, a side gig for me. Um, but yeah, no, in, in all seriousness, um, good. It feels nice to have something new to get your teeth stuck into that, I don't know, it's just a, like, I think you put it earlier, like, it's addictive to, to try to see change. Like, and I guess that's how it, that's how it does feel with nutrition when you first start. I think maybe sometimes, like, when you've been doing it for so long, like, like mm-hmm. we have, and, I, I remember like when I first started nutrition and, and training and God, I was like looking at, I was listening to every fucking podcast, mm-hmm. uh, podcast are great, especially this one. But, share, um, share it. Share it. Um, I was looking at every podcast, reading, like, reading all the time, like, reading all, like literally everything, like, mm-hmm. not, not literally, but everything. And it's because, you know, there was a passion there because it was like I could see noticeable improvements in my strength. It was going up, it was going up. I was seeing changes in my body and it's quite addictive, like, to see those changes. And obviously, the longer that you do it, those changes start to, to not drop down, but you they're less pronounced because it's just it's just normal. And the, and the novel, shiny, mm. like, kind of toy syndrome kind of goes away with it. But I've, I've kind of... I wouldn't say I've got that to share. That's not naive after all that one session, but I can see how people get into it, like... Me and, me and Dan have been down the driving range a couple of times and like some shots go well some shots don't go so well and, and it's nice to come away having and again like it's, it's applicable to coaching because like I've invested I could keep going down the driving range and I could keep shanking them to the left like was going on every single time no matter what club I was using it was just hitting all the way down the left hand side every single time um, so I could have just kept doing that and sure I might have got a little bit better but you wouldn't know why. I wouldn't know why. I wouldn't. I, would, I certainly wouldn't have progressed at uh, any kind of rate. Not. And I'm not saying I progressed at all during one session. But you can see well, 
yeah, you can see that you will. There's been an improvement. I can hit the balls now, not every time, like, I'll be honest, but they're getting a lot straighter than they were, and I know why. I know what I'm doing wrong now. So then you can adjust it, you can work on it. And it's it's really similar to coaching. And again, like I've just invested, I'll be I'll be buying a block of, of, of coaching in terms of golf and look, month time I'll be I'll be I think, I'll be touring. I think, yeah, exactly. Touring make, making millions. But um it's that whole thing of it, it's a prime example of like we always say practice what you preach, and I think as coaches you see the value in coaching. Like I said to Mike, I said as soon as he got here they wanted to do it. I said, just go and get lessons. Don't even, even even before you buy clubs, like down to this level where, because they'll tell you what sort of clubs you need to buy them based on where you're at. Um, it's not making a difference to Mike, whatever he uses, kind of to. But, uh, but no, the point is that, but a professional will be able to kind of go, right, this is where you need to start from, this is what you need to focus on because we've been before a couple of times and I said, even said to you, I said, I've got no idea what you're doing wrong. I'm not even going to try and tell you what to do because I've got no idea. I really know what I was doing wrong so I do it. And it's funny how, I know, I know some people play golf and they say, you know, everyone's got that one mate who says they don't know what they need to do and what you need to change. It's like, they don't. It's the same mate with nutrition. It's the same fucking thing. Yeah. Is that they did a diet and they cut carbs so everyone should cut carbs. It's like, well, no mate, that's not what happens. And like I said, we know the value in coaching so we just said, look, go straight for some lessons. Like I did. I went straight back into lessons before you even started playing out on course and, you know, you know what you're doing wrong then and it just takes the stress out of it. And I think that's why you then can see why people enjoy it because I'm really excited to get back playing and enjoying playing because. I can see the improvement because I know what I'm doing wrong and what I need to work on. Yeah. And then I'll go back for some more lessons and I go, right, now I need to work on this. And it's, like it's you said, it's, it's motivating. It's motivating. It's the same with the training. Like I said to you, it's like going in and saying, oh, I can't back squat 100 kilos yet. Well, of course you can't if you're going to go and, and you're going to use the lift the bar, but you will at some point. And I think that's where, with our own training, with, with nutrition, like you said there, is that you also get to a point where you're comfortable and happy. Like for us, training doesn't give us that, that buzz anymore because no, yeah. we know we've lifted heavier. We know we've been in, in decent shape and we're quite happy with where we're at. We, again, we don't track our food. We just know what to do now. It's the same with that golf. You can see people when they get really good handicaps, they probably don't need lessons. They're just happy just doing what they're doing and they enjoy that process. They don't need to play every single day. You're not uh, yeah, mentally, yeah. physically, all sorts. Uh, yeah, business, I've business, the, business partner. I've, I've heard people saying, yeah. that, that makes handicaps. Now I know <laughs> no, people are just saying, they're saying golf. It's golf, <laughs> isn't it? But yeah. yeah, I've heard it a lot of times. See, so, yeah, it's just interesting, like I said, the parallels that you draw, and it's the same, it's the same with anything. I think we, we talk about with our business and stuff. We don't just, you know, we do wing it, but we do ask for help, and then we just ignore it and then wing it anyway. But um, yeah, it's just, asking for help is the best thing from a professional, and it's, it, it'll pay off. I think you'll see in six months' time, like straight away, you're able to hit the ball. But straight away, you like you come away with it, seeing some small progress, and it is motivating to see. I well, remember the first time you did it, you weren't as motivated. You're like, well, why am I keep going left? And yeah, like, I don't know. And you're it, like, oh, that's really it's annoying. more frustrating. <laughs> yeah. It's frustrating when you see no progress, and that's why people end up falling off the diet. Is that it's frustrating? You know, you sat here, I mean, this is launched on what? I say launched. Uh, it's going to be, what, the 13th or something, 13th of Jan, whether you've listened to it on 13th or 15th or probably not at all. Um, you might be a couple of weeks into your own kind of fitness, nutrition type journey, and it's frustrating when you don't get anywhere. Like, I could probably have gone up to the driving range a couple, of, a couple more times and I would have just been hitting it and it would have been just hitting it for hitting its sake. Um, but then when you get somebody to break it down and actually go, no, this is how you stand properly, this is what's going to be right for you, this is the right distance, because before you, you're almost guessing everything, it's like, well, I don't know how far away to stand from it, I don't know where my feet should be placed, I don't know how to, to grip it, I don't know what the backswing needs and, to look like. And also everyone is different, so you can't even look at someone else and go, well, that's what they do. Yeah. It doesn't make a difference, it's, it matter. It's like, you, you start to, to, it's almost like you're so blind to it, it, it is kind of like, well, 
I'm never going to get any better because I don't actually know what it is that I need to change. Mm-hmm. That's what a lot of people come into with coaching. It's like the amount of times that somebody's come to coaching and they've gone, yeah, actually, you know, I, I'm pretty good with with my training and, and, my, and my nutrition. I, I, you know, I think it's just, you know, I think it's just X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, you're not as good as what you think, and it's almost you're blind to what you're doing wrong. Um, and it just takes that person to go, no, you should be drinking four liters, not two liters. You should be getting eight hours, not six hours of sleep. It's just those little tweaks where they might not even register with you. You're having four coffees. No, you should be having two. It's just those little things where you think that you're doing stuff right. So it's like the analogy of me down the golf range. It's like, to me, it, it, it looked like I was doing everything that Dan was doing. Yet Dan was hitting them in the air, going further and not missing the ball. As much as it pains me to say it. <laughs> I, was, I was missing lots of them. And when I was hitting it, it was hitting the same tree every single time, no matter what club I was using, which I, I heard is not a good thing. Um, so it it would be quite frustrating if I had not got that advice because you don't I don't I wouldn't have known what to tweak I would have been yeah. blind. Like, and it's like you said as well though about like the enjoyment element. Is it you'll enjoy it more? You're more yeah. motivated. And oh. It's kind of like one of those where it's going to cost you what hundred pound a week in lessons probably to learn yeah. how to play golf. But it's that thing that we always say coaching is investment because you are going to enjoy every single time you play golf much more than you would have done before yeah. if you hadn't paid the money. And the inevitability is that to then enjoy it a year down the line you'd have been paying the money anyway so you just wasted a year of your life not enjoying it oh yeah that's it and it's so it's like why just just do it now why do lessons look, so I just booking a block of five there is 100 sessions going to work yeah. out 500 so I probably have 10 maybe 10 lessons maybe 15 so you're talking 1,000, 1,500 but after that I'm actually you know, you'll that. enjoy that for a year then you might go back again for another 10 lessons and work on something else for a year and that it's the same thing with coaching, it's how it works. You can go and enjoy stuff and you enjoy what you know, you enjoy what you learn. And it, it just it, you just then go through the levels. It's like, exactly it's, that. It's just seeking somebody to go, like, I want to enjoy golf because we've got beautiful golf courses, it's nice weather, my best mate plays it, like, Suck plays it, who's Dan O'Rourke's and Dan, who's one of our old business mentors and I'm from the UK. Like, I want to be able to play golf. And after 1,500 quid, I'll be able to play golf. And it's the same with your physique. It's like if you want to be able to walk around confident with your top off, if you want to feel like you, you know, um, you deserve to be in the gym, if you want to improve your strength, if you want to get abs, if you want to do a photo shoot, if you want to look good on the beach, if you want to look great in your wedding, that's the same as being able to play golf. Like those, it's all the same thing. I want to go to play golf, so I'm going to learn how to play golf, and I'm going to get there. I'm going to pay, you know, I'm going to pay to get there. It's the same as with any physique. Golf. Just, it's the same just don't get too good there, please. I will. No. Inevitably, I'll be too good. It'll inevitably be better than me as well. The one thing at the moment that I'm better than him at, and he's going to fucking come along and be like, oh yeah, actually. So, no. no. There's lots of things to be better than me at. Moaning, that's one of them. Yeah. Being bold. Bold, that's another. You've got me on that one. Boring. Sorry, oh, to be fair, maybe I'm giving, I don't give something. No, I'll give you basketball. You're better at basketball. Um, I'm stick. I'll never be at that. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, I back myself with stuff because if I go, well, do you know what? If I commit to playing it for about two months, I would back myself with it because I'm quite quick, I'm tall, I've got hand eye coordination, like I'm used to playing sport, and I did used to play it when I was at school. Yeah, your lateral movement's lacking, though, I think. Though. I, it, I could develop today, like. I'd back myself with stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, so, so we've been golfing this morning. Dan brought me a nice little glove, didn't you, Dan? Brought your glove, mate, because you need one, otherwise, you get blisters all over your hands. Yeah. yeah. It's a nice little white book. It's got brown brown tip on the index finger though for some reason. No idea. What that's doing. Well, 
It's very nice, very shocked. Couldn't believe Danny put his hand in his pocket and paid for something, but... I nicked it. Yeah, I nicked it. It's probably an unwanted Christmas gift that he got, if he's already got one. Yeah, he's packaged it up with him. But, yeah, so anyway, in this in this episode, I guess we're just going to find out a little bit more about the bold one of the two of us. And when I say that, I'm fucking hoping I don't go bold in the next couple of years. Can you imagine? Because not only have I got all the jokes to come, but we're going to need to rebrand the cartoons. That's what I said. I might, I, might do, I might do a tubes and get my hair redone again. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, tubes. You've not noticed it? No. Oh, it looks, it looks, it looks, it was going through a phase where it looked really bad. But he was bald then, yeah. He always goes hat, though. Yeah, but you, you see him when he starts to get off now. Ah. So, I guess, let's start with... Uh, let's start with... Interview. Interview. You know, um, the interview. And why did you get into coaching? Why did I get into coaching? Um, for those that don't know, I used to work in professional football. Ooh, I worked in football. Um, so I, I basically worked my whole, yes, I worked my whole um, student life, basically. My goal, my whole goal when I was a student was to, was to work in professional football. I knew from the age of about 16. Why? that I wanted to be in football. I don't know why. I don't know why. I think it's because I wasn't good enough for sport. Mm. That's probably what it was. At 16, I realised I was never going to play sport. I think every kid's dream is to play sport, isn't it, as a professional? Did you, did you like sport? I loved sport, yeah. absolutely loved it. What did, did you play in school teams? Yeah, football, cricket, everything. Basketball, I used to love it. Did you? Yeah. And then... It See, was... I was under the impression that you didn't. No, yeah. See, I don't know this about you, because I was under the impression that you learned how to play basketball in Camp America. No, so I played basketball at school, but it was obviously a shit standard. But you developed it. But then I developed it more when I went okay. to America and played. But I actually was supposed to go to America to coach football, originally. So you were good? I've got, yeah, coaching, like me. So here we go. I'll get into the story but about football, right? So I used to love sport, still do love sport, love all sports. And um, I knew that I wanted to get into football. And I knew I wasn't good enough. And I knew that they had sport scientists and S&C coaches. And I knew it was quite a new thing. And I was a bit geeky. So I was like, right, I want to do that. And... Went to uni, as soon as I started at uni, everyone else was out getting pissed and, you know, meeting girls and that sort of stuff. I wasn't, of oh, yeah. I was, every opportunity I had, I was like working for free in football clubs, trying to get more experience, internships and... Oh, love me, love me. Literally, waste of time that was. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I was really lucky that I managed to get, um, I just harassed people enough that they let me in and I got in to do an internship at Reading. Um, so every summer I went there to do... Um, like internships at SNC, it's basically filling up protein shakers and, and just watching sessions and stuff. So, got that sort of exposure. Anyway, I went to uni, got a master's, uh, went to a specialist football university where all the researchers there were working about the FA, working with football clubs. So, I managed to get in Liverpool, um, did some, I did, did an internship there at Liverpool, and then I got a, f- a full time job at Hull City. So, I was the f- first team sports scientist at Hull City. Um, and that was my dream job. Like, I remember I was 23 when I got that job. Even though I was even though I was in Hollywood. It can't be your dream job. Just got promoted to the Premier League, mate. First team sports science, no, not a job title. No dream job ends in Ends Hull. in, in Hull. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Did it somewhere else. Fair point. But my dream job title, shall I say. First team sports science. So I was in charge of, um, you know, the GPS sports information. And science, the sports and science, yeah. So how all the science was related to their decision-making with football club and stuff like that. But anyways, this is what I was going to say to you about that. So I used to, have, sometimes, when the reserves had odd numbers, they used to ask me to join in yeah. and play. So I used to play, I wasn't as good as a reserve, obviously, but... Um, so yeah, I can't make football. You should play football in Dubai, I'll show you. Kick the ball around. Well, I don't want to find out that you're better than me in something else. Nah, don't. I wouldn't be better. Because I, I was quite good at football. I wasn't quite good at football. I can kick the ball. Now, well, I joined in the reserves at Hull City. I can't be awful, right? No, you say that, but the standard... The standard, the standard 
That, it's not though, is it? Because you say that, and when you're watching football, like I went to watch, it's, I went to watch Wednesday with my dad. That's watched every Wednesday for those who don't know. Went to watch with my dad, and you you look at it and go, "Fucking hell, that is useless." I'm yeah. better than that. But you but you're not. Like, it's it's one of those where I used to say this about playing. Um, so I used to again, I used to go onto the pitch before the game, do the warm ups, and do that sort of stuff with the players, yeah. right? And I always used to say that it's a like the pitches that we used to play on. Like if you're actually half play. decent, you can't you can't play. It's suddenly you can just fucking pointless. You're just hoofing it. Mm-hmm. When you play on those pitches, you instantly become better. Really? Your touch, everything. You predict the ball. You can predict where things are going. Mm-hmm. And in at that level of sport, in that football, it's about your first touch and your movement off the ball. They're the two things. They're the two things that if you have, you can be a good footballer. And you can learn the other stuff. Yeah. If you've got a good first touch and you can pass the ball 15 yards. You're going to be fine. It's the movement off the ball and the speed of the movement that is different. That's the main difference. That when you get up to speed with it, it's okay. And then I was, so I got my, my, my dream job, first team sports scientist, and I worked under Steve Bruce, who is a dinosaur of football manager. Mm. Nice guy, great man manager, but when it came to sports science, it was a bit like, you know, wasn't really that into it. Basically, he old started school, yeah. old school, and he just basically used to use the data to hammer players or to praise them. And I was like, that's not what this is about. This is just data. You use it to inform your practice. You don't use it to come in and go, you've not run far enough, you've not done enough. And anyway, I remember a very specific moment in, in that time that made me realise I didn't want to do it. I used to love the players. I used to love coaching them. I used to do all the S&C with the gym with them. I used to assist that. Still speak to the guy I worked with there. So I did have a great time. I still speak to some of the players now. Paul McShane, Corey Evans, you know, a lot of these, these people that are still playing now. James Chester, David Myler. Jimmy Bullard wasn't there, he just left. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of really, really good players and players have gone on to, to high levels and stuff. Um, but I remember being sat in a meeting with the management team and I basically brought up in our small sports science department, we had a fitness coach who was Steve Bruce's man. He was brought with him, he was his man and he had no qualifications in sports science, no qualifications in fitness, was just his mate. He came along, blew the whistle and told people to run around. As you can imagine, old school football fitness, right? And we were sat there in our sports science meeting, and I just, I remember saying to him, I said, I said, I said look, based on all this data, these players are, are close to the edge of, of burnout, they need a rest, they need, can't play at the weekend, they should be rested, they should just focus on training. Everyone else was like, yeah, agreed, cool, okay, we'll bring it forward in the meeting, see what the manager does with it. And Steve Bruce says to his man, he goes, oh, so, you know, so and so, he said, any news from sports science? He just turned to me and went, yeah, Dan, like that. I sat there, like, he never usually asked me to say anything. And I was like, I sit there, Steve Bruce is there, and I'm like, okay. Um, so yeah, definitely. You know, these two players. Um, obviously, one's come back from injury recently, and they, they could probably do a rest. They, you know, they, they're knackered. They, all the training loads are high. You know, the recovery's not as great in between sessions. Blah blah blah. I'd like could probably do a rest in them. Definitely, this one. The other two are very very close. So he turned to his mate and said, "Is that right?" And he went, "Nah, they'll be alright, Gaffer." <laughs> and I'm sat there like, "What the fuck is going on here?" Anyway, so then I was just like, um, "Yeah, whatever. Like, just ignore it." And it was at that point, I remember it, because I walked out of the office at that point and went, yeah, I'm done it. At this point, I said, because my dream was always that you would help you inform decision-making and all that sort of stuff. And I just was being used to hammer players, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the players don't like that because they see you as the enemy. And you're not. You're just collecting the data. And it was at that point, um, and I remember, what else happened? So I went for an interview in London at the PT place. Um, and I remember when he told me how much I could earn. And it was like double what I was on at Hull City. And I was like, this makes no sense. Mm. Why am I doing this? I was working every hour I got sent to Hull City. I was on 22 grand a year, I think it was, at the time. 
And I was probably working 60-hour weeks. I think like my wage was about £5 an hour mm. when I worked it out. Um, with the amount of, because again, they would, so for example, you'd also um, play on a Saturday, right? We used to always have Sundays off and then they'd come back on Monday. So you kind of plan your week a little bit. But it was never set in stone. So we'd lose 4 a.m. on the Saturday. And the gaffer would go, right, everyone's in training tomorrow, first thing, 10 a.m. And I'd have to cancel all plans on a Sunday. Gaffer didn't even turn up. Just the support staff would turn up. We just, I just, and at that point, you just like, I can't focus. So I was like, yeah, I went down to London. And then, yeah, I just loved it. I got into, into PT. I earned double that amount in my first year PT and got into the online coaching. And, and it, it's much more satisfying actually having people than people actually listen to you because footballers don't really listen or pay attention. They just do what they have to do. Um, it's come a long way since then. That was 10 years ago. So it's come on a bit since then. Yeah. But it's still... was paid to it, isn't it? Like, it it's is. like Arsenal Wenger earning that kind of really brought it in, apparently. Like. It is, but it's also only at the high levels like that. So, like, for example, that whole City Championship, play, Premier, Premier League, that kind of thing. And again, it was this whole problem in the whole culture of the thing is that when you get relegated, you sack staff. Yeah, and you sack the sports science and SNC are on 20, 30 grand a year and you've got these players earning that in a week yeah. and you just sat there scratching head like, I can improve this these squad. Yeah. But the perception of there, and it's slowly getting better because American sports are so big on it yeah. and they're obviously huge that it's slowly filtering through. But a lot of players now in, in the Premier League, for example, I know a lot of players who now have their own PTs. Yeah. They're their own SNC coaches like they do in America where they, yeah. they do that because they've recognised the value in it because they need to be on top of their game. But um, Yeah, that... You, you hear about them all having their own PTs and nutritionists and things like that because yeah. the, the, the the team nutritionists are maybe not. Uh, they can't influence stuff. Can't influence you know, they just can't. They just again, they, it's so basic. And it's, your brother was in football as well. So my brother was a performance analyst. Yeah, he, he did. Uh, so like they they're the guys who do the video, like the pro zone stuff. You probably hear about. You know all the um, again completed passes, percentage of passes in you know yeah. into final third, all this sort of stuff. Again, and he said the same thing, exactly the same thing. It's like, you do all this work, it's not really used that much. Mm. It's used to hammer people a little bit and, and they don't use it as effectively and you get ignored and, and again, paid peanuts and, and stuff like that. And it's, it's a funny old world because you really want to get into it and then you get into there and realise. So it's all just about brown nose. All these, you know, all these 40-year-old guys are S&C coaches in there. I'm just, they're just brown nose and managers enough to get, get by. So, so I, you've mentioned like money, like, but I guess the, the, the biggest driver was just to almost... Make a difference, right? Like the the, the thing that yeah, was, it was to be involved in. in I, I wanted to feel a part of the success of the football team, yeah. and um, like we got promoted. We went from we went from the championship to the Premier League. We were promoted to the Premier League, and again, it was one of those where that should be the epitome of of your career. Yeah, and it felt good, and it felt nice, and I got a bonus and all this sort of stuff. But I still felt with that I was like, I'd not really made a difference here. Yeah. It kind of didn't feel like... I think with the physios, it probably does because they actually yeah. manually help these people. And yeah. there's, you can't really tangibly say how much SSC coaches It's hands-on, isn't it, physio? Yeah. And it just got a little bit... I was like... It didn't feel as good as I felt like it should have felt with that. And again, for the amount of amount I worked, the amount of holiday you get, it just wasn't worth it. And I just realised... Luckily for me, very early on, I realised, what am I doing? Like, this isn't what I want to do when I'm 40. It's a, it's, it's a similar thing to me, like, in a different walk of life, obviously, when I was in the military. It's a, sim- it's a similar thing. It was the overwhelming feeling that no nobody would care if I was there or not. Yeah. Like, the, it, I wouldn't make a difference. Like, it doesn't yeah. make, it doesn't, like I'm, I, I was just somebody. I was just a number that yeah. was doing a menial job for somebody else. And it wouldn't make a difference. So, and that kind of culminated in a, in a few things, like in, in my own mind and 
you know, I ended up not showing up to work and things like that. I remember the last year that I was there, I had 20, 28 sick days in, in one year because I because I hated it. Like, I absolutely hated it. I had no drive, I had no motivation for anything because nobody cared. They, they would talk to you like crap. They would treat you like, like, you know, like shit because yeah. you were just a number. And your job could be filled by somebody else who's doing the same thing. And I just remember feeling like, this is like, there's got to be more to life than this. And the job that obviously you've moved into and I've moved into, like the job satisfaction you get outside of anything monetary or anything like that, or perks of you get to do it at home or you're not called it on weekends, it's more so you know that without you, that some people wouldn't experience some of the feelings that they get to experience. Mm. Like you are directly now changing and influencing people's lives. Like, and that goes into relationships, that goes into, um, you know, Having having kids like it's it's like the conflict is yeah. uh, their own kind of career progressions and starting starting people's own businesses because they've now the confidence they are getting promotion like it actually feels so nice to be responsible in some small way for something like that so you actually uh, feel fulfilled in what you're doing you're making a difference that's it it was it was definitely that part of it for me again seeing all these people get all the credit and you're like. And, it, and I think I also saw a lot of people just cling on to the coattails of like the manager or the club or again the brown nosing that went on. Like, that, like that fitness coach, it was just like a, he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. He was just the manager's whistle man. Yeah. Like, and it's kind of like, if that's what you want to do with your life, and again, he always took me shoulder because, so I came in again with a master's degree and he just didn't like me because he knew that I knew he knew nothing. He just knew that I, that I was on to, not onto him, I didn't, I didn't care, but he knew that I knew the situation, whereas all the people around him like the manager, the coaches didn't know. They didn't know that he actually wasn't, you know, that good up. Um, and I think that people feel threatened by that. And I was just in an environment where I was like, I don't care that you feel threatened. I'm not coming for your job. I don't genuinely don't care. And I, yeah, just I, I, those messages you get from your clients, you know, the ones that are like, that we do the video testimonials. And I've had a, I had one back recently actually from one of my clients telling me, you just feel like I almost sometimes feel a bit awkward. I'm like, oh my god, like mm. it's a bit like stop saying things that are nice like I'm not used to it but yeah. I never once got that from anyone in football no. to say like oh you've really really made a difference today even today not even in their life you've made a difference today like none of that shit and it, for me it was always um, did you feel like year. did you feel like you were above it yeah I did I felt like again like I felt with the data and the information that I knew more than these people yeah. and, and I was like and again some people are happy sitting there taking the paycheck and not being listened to and I wasn't I was just like no that's not right like you can't just run players for 10 miles. That's just stupid. That's not what they do on the humble pitch. Mm. But that's what old school people did. It's like, oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a mental challenge. No, you're just going to fucking break them. They don't need a mental challenge. They're growing men. Yeah. Like, they even want to play football, they don't. And it's yeah. that whole thing of, I, I just, I didn't, I think if, from that point, I didn't know that I wanted to be self-employed. I just knew I didn't want to be employed. I, don't, I, I know that sounds weird because that's, that's the other option, right? Yeah. But I just knew that I didn't want to be yeah. in that role again and that's where I went with PT I actually became I was actually employed as a PT with like a bonus structure for session so I kind of went half and half yeah. there was a bit of security and a bit of something but then at the end of that I realised hang on they're still taking a huge chunk of what I'm doing here mm-hmm. and then I made the full transition to like no I'm going to be in charge of everything I do the, the thing is that we're brought up in this society we're almost brought up incorrectly now nowadays like to the, to the extent where and again, society would probably collapse if it wasn't done like this, but it is the old, you go to school, 
you go to college, if you do okay at school and, and university, if you don't do as well, you probably go and do something that's, I don't know, a little bit more hands-on, like, let's say. And again, like, I, that's what I did. Like, I didn't want to go to university, so I went and did something hands-on. I, I was an engineer. Um, you then grow up, you work for somebody else for four years, you have kids, you get married, um, you get your pension and you die. And like, that's the way that it, that it is. And I guess society needs to kind of be a little bit like that in, in some ways, otherwise we wouldn't have, if there's too much entrepreneurial spirit, it probably wouldn't work. But like, it's amazing what happens when you kind of, you see that there is something else that you don't have to conform to. Like you don't have to, because it, it felt like you were just making it, like for me, it felt like I was just making a decision at that moment in time. It was just a decision of whether I do this or that. It was like, do I go to college, yes or no? Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, I did go, I went to college. Do I go to university, yes or no? I originally wanted to go and then I was like, no. So no, so now what do I do? And it's like, you almost just go, you find yourself down this path and the same, the same with you. I felt above it. Like it sounds arrogant to say, but I just felt like this is so far beneath what I should be doing. There was always something else. I was like, I should be doing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm more academic than these people. These people who are telling me what to do. I'm smarter than you. Like in an arrogant way, and like, and I would think my, my personality would be better. Like I'm funny. I'm the funny one. Like, and again, like I'm the one who makes the fluff. I'm the like. And I just felt like... I still think that now people I work with. Do you know? So oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think it's right. It's probably on. Yeah, probably. Similar, similar. Um, yeah, it's, it's... It was, yeah, it was just a feeling of like... Um, I just questioned stuff. I think I just questioned things and I just questioned it. And I remember, I remember the day that I told my dad that I was quitting it to be a PT. And he was, he was just like, what are you doing? He's like, are you sure? Because, again, he'd helped me go to university, he was very, I was the first, he told me, I was, I was like, you're the first member of our family to get a master's degree. Mm-hmm. And he was like, dead proud of me, like, dead proud of that. And again, because I knew I wanted to be a first team sports scientist and I knew that I wanted to do it since I was young, he was almost a bit like, so proud that I did it by the age of 23. He was like, that's such a big thing. But I also think that's what made me realise that I could do whatever I wanted. Because I'd always gone from the age of 16 and wanted to do it to literally the earliest age I could have possibly done it was 21, mm-hmm. because that's when I finished my degree. And then did a master's to 22, and then it took me a year to work in to then be offered that job. And I think I realised, and I was like, hang on, if I've done this in two years, what, what could I do? Like, because that's literally the end. Like, people are first-team sports science in football until they're 45, 50. Like, you've got some of them now. I've seen, I've seen them. And yeah, they probably earn more money, they're heads of departments and stuff. But I was like, am I doing this now for 25 years? Is that really what I'm, I'm kind of doing? And I, fell in, I definitely fell into being doing what we're doing in, in terms of, like, you know, the online coaching and stuff that we do now. I never would have guessed that we'd be where we are. So why did you, like, obviously we know why you left the profession. Why did you choose to go into coaching? I think it was because it was a similar field in terms of my expertise and what I knew. But then it was like, well, I can directly help people now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you want to make money, and again, I was in London, I was a PT. I think if I'd have really wanted to make money, I knew enough people that I could have gone and worked in, in the corporate. Mm-hmm. I could have gone into finance. Again, like you. I can pick things up pretty quick. Mm. I know some really stupid friends of mine in finance making shitloads of money and making big decisions with billions of pounds and they are idiots. Mm. Like I know them. So I know it's not hard. Mm. Like I know I could do it if I put my mind to it. I know that I had clients at the time in London who if I'd have said something they'd have probably found a way of getting me onto a graduate course and mm. doing it if I wanted to. But I used to hate wearing a suit. So that was number one. <laughs> I fucking hate wearing a suit now. Um, I don't know. I just don't know, you know. I think it was just... 
when you're at that age as well, I think you, you follow your passion. And I used to enjoy training and nutrition. I used to love it. So what is it that, about you that you think, like where you can, you say that you can pick things up easily. Like what do you think, what traits about you? Do you think you just, is it natural? Is it that you work harder than other people? Like what is it? I, I don't know. I, just, I think it's a desire to learn more. Yeah. You're the same though. Yeah. You're the same. It's like with the business stuff. We want to know more. We want to learn more. We want to think, well, how's that happen? Why does that work? What's so-and-so doing? How mind, are they doing it? Mine's competitiveness. Yeah, it's, mind. it's just wanting I, It's just wanting to know. It's just wanting to know how the world works. It's the same with financials. Like, no one's taught me about, I suppose, stocks and shares. Dad's kind of went through it a little bit, but about financials and stuff like that. And even, like, well, we talking about day Bitcoin, things like that. Like, I don't... I'm not going to profess to be an expert, but it's like, I, I want to know how things work. So when someone asks, I can tell them, I can go into it and I can talk like that. And I think then it's just a desire to learn more information. And I think we were brought up with learning more about academics. You're like, learn more about books, read books, the academic books, do exams, yeah. do get qualifications. And we really quickly learn that doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah, no. Like we did with nutrition, right? You no. do a few qualifications in nutrition, you go, okay, great. But this is actually now more about learning about people, more about psychology, more yeah. about, again, how to run a business, sales, marketing, like how does that all work? And I think that's, that's for me, is it's the not knowing part of it. It's that I want to learn more and I want to know why certain things work. Um, that's good because you then double down on that. Like me and Dan, we watched the podcast the day, if you've not seen it. The Diary of a CEO with Stephen Barlow and it's Jimmy Carr and something that he said in Jimmy Carr said this he was like the way that schools are taught is so wrong he was like for example Stephen Barlow got an A in English but a D in physics like just do more English like why are there so why are we trying to bring people up to speed with the things that they're rubbish at why why are just getting languages I've never tried to so, yeah, so, so the thought process nowadays because we have information at the tip of our, you know, tips of our fingers, right? Where if you wanted to know something about history, you could type into Google. Back in the early days, yeah. where you would want to know something about history, you would probably have to research, look through text, textbooks, or rely on recall. But now it's, it's a little... and, and, and you say that because I remember at a very early age, I think I cottoned onto that. So I very nearly didn't get into university because I got a D in biology, which in our line of work is not ideal. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> um, but the reason for that is that it was the first year they gave you a breakdown of your modules. Mm. And I got A's and B's in every single module. And I failed the module of six modules. And I failed the plants module. Mm. And I went, well, no, you're a shit. Yeah. And I think that was the first year at university as well. They, they could see the module breakdown. Mm. So I got D overall in budget because it was that bad. I failed that badly with plants. Mm. And the others were like A's and B's and C's or whatever. I think they looked at it and went, well, that's all right. Who cares? He's doing human, human sciences. Yes. I don't care. And I, I, I remember that. I remember getting it. And I was like, I was bored my eyes out. I was like, I'm not going to university now. When you look at it, it's like well, I don't care. I don't yeah. care about plants. I don't need to learn about them. If I was going to go and do zoology or whatever, yeah, you might need to know a little bit more about them. But it was that whole thing of you only need to know what you know, and exactly. what, what what benefits you in some way. Like I, I don't know anything about engineering. I know nothing about it. My dad was an engineer. Yeah, there's no need for you. But I don't but need to. Thing, I don't need to know about like, it. Schools these days, it, it's. I don't know why that they're trying to make people understand a little bit about about everything. Whereas it should be a lot about the one thing they're good at. Nobody needs somebody else that's shit at physics. Like, if you're good at English, focus on English. Nobody wants to know whether you've got your D to a C in physics. You're never yeah. going to do anything with physics. Yeah. And that's the thing, I think, that, to, to, that people should take from it, or hopefully one of the things you take from this is to double down on things that you are good at. Like that is 100%. We, we talk about it in terms of, like we do a bit of mentoring for some coaches and stuff like that. We talk about niches. We talk about what's your niche. 
And it's why I don't work with many obese diabetics, because it's not a niche that I want to double down on or work particularly with. And I think that it boils down to the same in, in business. I think that's probably maybe, said maybe why we've got to where we are, is because we just know our strengths. And we both have slightly different strengths, yeah. but we know what they are. And this we is, don't get each other to do stuff we're not good at. This is all about knowing your strengths and your weaknesses. And identifying them quickly. That's the thing that I found with work. It's right? not, yeah, and it's not necessarily but trying to develop your weakness that we don't. I know I am shit with computers. So there, there might be cause for me to go, oh, should I do it? Should I do a computer course to learn it? No. Like, why? Like, I'll do the stuff that I'm good at and let other people do the computer stuff. Like, luckily for me, that that is good with computers. And if he wasn't, do you know what we do? We get somebody else to do it. It's that simple. Rather than me trying to, to learn it, it's doubling down on, on your strengths and, and kind of just being accepting some of the weaknesses. And again, even weaknesses in our in our traits, I guess, like we know what the good points and the bad points are. And I think we're quite honest with it. Like we, you're never going to see us walking around selling supplements, you know, get involved with performance sensing drugs and things like that because that's, that's not our strength as people who live and breathe that. That's what they want to do. Whereas... In this industry, you can be influenced to do things because of what other people are saying or other people are doing. There's this whole movement, I guess, of love yourself intuitively and things like that. If you, if you listen to that too much, you can you can then start to, to sway down that, that avenue. Whereas that might not be what you should be doing just because other people are doing it. That's how they want to do, do things. It doesn't mean that you have to. So it's about identifying things that you are good at and things that align with you. Um, and kind of making the most of those things. I think, I think when I think back to what we've just talked about, and I realise a lot of what shaped my life is negative experiences. I think there's too much focus on trying to always find the positives. If I'd have just focused on the positives when I was in football, I would have focused on, well, I've got a career, I've got money coming in. Nobody would leave. Nobody would leave a job. Nobody would leave a relationship. And people don't know, do they? That's the thing. Is I say most people don't. But for me, it was that the negative experience of that was too. I was thinking about it too much, and I was like, I can't. I can't handle that more than once. It happened to me once. I can't sit here my whole life because I knew that would happen every few months. That was the same thing happening. And I speak to people all the time. They do the same things happen. The same negative things happen. And it's look, it's New Year. Same thing with diets all the time. Same negative thing happens. But yet people don't do anything different. And I think that the strengths you see in people who maybe have got things that you haven't got or are in a place that you want to be is that I just don't think they accept more negative experiences. They just. They use that as fuel. And i that's what I don't like, is that I'm someone I think I'm motivated by not feeling pain than I am about chasing pleasure. And I think that's important to remember. I think I am someone who would be driven more by the stick than the carrot. Yeah. And I think there's a bit of that where it's understanding that, again, in, in terms of like your job and what you want to get out of it and things, things like that. I think everyone that you see who's maybe gone to, to start their own business, I would hazard a guess that most entrepreneurs are motivated by a stick. Because there ain't really many carrots to chase, it's like when it comes to because you have to cut everything off and you start from scratch and it's like fuck, I've got to make this work now. There's no like, there's no like big bonus at the end of it. Whereas some people make a bit more my bonuses and they want to just be like, oh, there's a good thing coming up. There's a good thing there. If I stick with this and ride out the shit bits, I'll get something good at the end. And for me, that just wasn't going to work in my life. Like it just wasn't the career I wanted. I'd rather be someone who had good stuff the majority of the time and kept doing it so that I didn't get any shit stuff come my way. 
And I think that's the, the difference with, with those people. I definitely think it's too... I mean, it's glass half empty, half full, isn't it? And I think you're probably half empty, yeah. and I'm a, I'm a half empty as well. I think that that's not necessarily the but, best thing. But it's also, but it's also touted as, like, the worst thing ever. Yeah, it's not the worst thing ever. It's okay to want to do more, as long as the reason why you want to do more is the right reason. Like, it's, it's okay to do that. I think where it can become a negative to, to be pain-avoiding is that at any sign of any negative um, that, that might come up is that you kind of go, it's almost like blowing out of proportion to some extent. And I think sometimes it does serve us better to sit back and actually go look at the positives. Like, and again, the, to, to put this into, into dieting and nutrition, it can be easy to go, fucking hell, like I messed up on Saturday night. But what, what you should really do is rather than focus on that fucking hell, I messed up on Saturday night, you should go, okay, well, here are the good things that I did on the other days. Like, these are the good things I did. So actually, I'm not going to sack it off because on the balance of things, I actually had a better week than I did a worse week. But yet, a lot of people do tend to fall into the bracket of going, oh, I fucked up once. So that's me fucked for the next God knows how long until I start a new diet. And it's the same, it is the same in, in business. It's like, you kind of like, one thing, you know, go ahead. Yeah, but you kind of, Sometimes we need to, and we had this conversation yesterday, sometimes we need to, we just launched Blitz, right? And we had a, another successful launch. And we go, well, we got 10 less than we did on the last one. 10, which isn't a lot. It's less than 10%. Like, it's about 8%. Like, there's no difference in it, like, in, in real terms. And it's like, rather than focusing on, well, we got 10 less, it's like, well, we did a good job there. Like, it's a good thing. Yeah, I, I think there needs to be a balance, like, um, I do, I do believe that the, the majority of the sex, successful people are probably more motivated away from staying away from pain. I know I am. Something that makes me work harder is this could all go away in one, you know, in in one fell swoop. Like it's difficult running your own business because you, you tend to think, well, what happens if all of my clients leave? What happens if everybody starts to hate me? What happens if Instagram shuts down? What happens if this? What happens if that? And you're almost motivated to work harder now and, and move away from that thing rather than going. I would like X, or I would like Y, or I'm doing it because I want this. It's almost like I'm doing, I'm doing it to stay away from the failure. It's the same with, with physique stuff, though, right? It's the same. It's the same thing. It's some people are just happy and content with, with where they're at. Some people are just they've had enough and they just want to change. And and it's I just think that there's so much, so much emphasis put on positive positivity at the moment and positive this and positive that and I just think it's unrealistic to expect everything to be positive all the time or even for the majority of the time I just think that you need an even amount of both mm. things to actually be positive because yeah. again how are you going to enjoy positive if you've never experienced negative just it's not going to happen and I think so many people try and just be okay so that they don't ever feel anything bad but if you don't ever feel anything bad you can never be ecstatic and I think people are just living their life okay and that's what I saw in football and I saw a lot of it was people satisfied with being okay with, with what they're doing and I was just like I'd rather take the leap feel shit I remember moving out to London and feeling like oh my god what the fuck have I just done feeling sick feeling anxious not being able to eat for a few days like that level of like what am I doing to come out of the side of it though like you have to experience that there's yeah, I agree. Like I massively agree with that. And you see this with people who are born into money. People who are born and, and the difference, right? So if you if you had nothing, if you had absolutely nothing, getting something means means a lot to you. So like for example, if you're if you're homeless and you got 
a McDonald's, for example, that would probably mean a lot more. You would probably be like, because you've been in, you're in pain, you're currently in pain. Whereas when you're born into money or you become used to things, you start to complain when things drop below a certain standard. Like you, you'll get people who complain at, at Michelin star restaurants because the right amount of sprinkle wasn't sprinkled on top. Yet what a stupid thing to worry about. Yet it would probably ruin their entire meal. It's perception of like, of, 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 of what actual pain is, of what actual, I guess, negativity is like. So I do believe, like, oh, that's obviously a different situation, but I do believe that, that that's right. You do need to experience something negative. And negative is a good thing. Uh, again, something else that was uh, said in my podcast is that, is that, like, sadness is a negative emotion, but actually sometimes it's the right thing to feel. Like, if, if, if you lose a family member, it, it's a good thing that you feel sadness. If you don't, that's when you worry. But actually, it's the, the negative thing is actually, you know, the sadness is actually a negative thing, yet it's the right thing. So, you know, it's, I, guess, I guess what we're trying to say is, is it's, it's a balance. It's, it's a balance. I know what you're getting at in terms of, like, the, the positivity. It's all the fucking... It's, it's pretty much every fucking coach these days saying, don't worry about tracking, don't worry about this, don't worry about that. It's just the next trend. It's just the next trend. And I, and I just think that... I don't know, I just, I just don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's helpful for a lot of people. I think that... It, it, it doesn't help anyone. There's not enough people because I think then these people that portray that message, the assumption is that they're positive all the time, but yet we know they're not. Mm. We know they're not, and we're honest enough with you to sit right here and go, look, like actually a lot of the stuff that's motivated us in life has come from a negative place, mm-hmm. and that's not a bad thing. And I think a lot of our clients, like I've had consultation calls, and then people go, I just had enough. I've just had enough of feeling this shit and this bad. They haven't ever come on a call and go, oh, I love myself and I feel incredible, but I just like to lose a kilo or two. That's very rarely happens. Like it's more often like it's like I'm fed up. I feel like this. It's got me upset. It's got me emotional. It's like that's okay to feel that way about something that you can change. And like I said, I refer back to like my where I come from. That's exactly what I felt. That's exactly what I felt. I was like, I'm not doing this. This is not what I want to do. I'm gonna pluck up the courage to, to do something about it and change. Whereas like I said, nine out of ten people would have would have probably heard the advice that I got given a lot which was, you're so lucky to be in that role right now. You know, not many people at this age get this job. You should just stick it out and see what happens. That's, nine out of ten would have done that. They would have stuck it out. They would have said, you've worked your ass off. You've gone to uni for four years. You might as well stick it out. No, because then it's that, what's it, what's it called? That sunken cost fallacy. Well, you've spent four years at uni and you've done it for you. You might as well see it through. Well, no. I don't always ten years instead of five. I've already wasted five to get here because I didn't need to go to uni to do what I do now. I didn't need to do all that. Um, it's led me to where I am, which is great, but... It's that whole sunken cost thing of going, oh, I'll stick it out a little bit longer. I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel that bad about myself, so I'll stick it out a little bit longer. I see, I don't need to do it now. Well, you just wasted a year where you'd feel happier. And then you, re- and you, and you realise, though, that, that there is only one, one life. Like, that's where... What was that drawn into us last, I think last year we've been... That's, that's, why I've cha- that's why I changed, like, because I was motivated. One of the reasons that I moved out here as well was that same thing. We were like, me and Laura talking like, Fuck it, really live once. You, you literally live once. You know, what you're doing right now is, this is this is it. Like, this is it. Like, you don't want to get to 40, 50, 60 and go, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done that because we're here. So it's like, take advantage of it. If you're unhappy, something that motivated me to change was not only the feeling that I was kind of worthless, it was, it was my dad. 
I didn't want to end up in a similar position to where my dad's at. Mm. Like, so I was like, I get my dad's a great guy. I wouldn't be where I am without him. He, he definitely taught, gave me some traits, you know, that have come in useful. Like, he's sarcastic and dry. I like to think that that helps me with, you know, building relationships and getting, getting people in. He taught me to work hard because he didn't want the same life for me. Like, it's the same thing, but that was a motivating thing for me is that I've got one life. Do I want to be at 50, 60, unhappy with how that life's gone? I could sit here and comfortably, in, in the military side, for 22 year, you have a 22-year contract, basically. So unless you do something fucking horrendous, like you punch your boss or you take drugs or something like that, you don't lose your job. You, there's no, you can't get sacked, basically. I could have comfortably done that. You walk out with the pension, but it's, I guess, wanting more. Like you say, it's, it's the same thing. People stay in relationships and... People look fondly on ex-relationships or, or past relationships and go, oh, that was, you know, that was nice. That was nice. And it, it's, it's human nature sometimes to pick the positive things, but then you actually go, well, no, because there was X, Y, and Z negative. It's the same with the military. You sit there and go, fucking hell, I met, met some good lads, had a good time, you know, we had this night out, that night out, I really found myself and things like that. But then you go, it's easy to think that. It's easy to take the positives and go, well, there was a ton of negatives as well. Otherwise, I wouldn't have made the decision. But... Anyway, anyway, so funny, funny story. Time. Got too too much serious stuff there. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start reading the funny I story. Wonder, yeah, I wonder you've not seen this, have you? I'm gonna just. I haven't seen this. <laughs> so here's the headline. This was sent to me by someone. I can't remember who exactly now. They'll know once they've. Um... Oh, I know it was. It was Mitch. Thank you, Mitch. Fellow office fan, Mitch. Excellent yeah. mind, Mitch. Okay. Bloody good bloke. Gordon Ramsay, sex dwarf, eaten by badger. Didn't happen. Right. Well, well, didn't happen. That's what it says. So didn't, there's too much well, stuff going on. No, 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 no. It's what it says. No. It's, it's what it says. There's too much stuff going on in one sentence. Right. Gordon Ramsay, sex dwarf, eaten by badger. It's too much stuff going on. He does look like one now, to be fair. He does very like one. <laughs> right. <laughs> An itty bitty porn star Stupid. who hit the big time as a Gordon Ramsay lookalike has been found dead in a badger set. That's what we call a, 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 yeah, a yeah. place for a badger. It's not, it's not like They're not idiots. On TV. Last week, Sunday Sport revealed how Diddy Percy Foster, 35, who is the spit of the foul-mouthed TV chef, was appearing in adult movies. Okay. But with the world at his feet and producers beating a path to his door, it's all over for pint-sized Percy. Okay, we know he's a dwarf from the headline. We can quite clearly see he's a dwarf from the picture. Mm. Yet, in one sentence, the opening sentence, there's three adjectives <laughs> to describe him as small. It's, it's like, itty. yeah, itty-bitty. Yeah, diddy. Diddy and pint-sized. Pint-sized. No, we already know he's small. Yeah, they're, they're, just, they're, they're, yeah, they're taking the mic and they're, they're just, yeah, they're joking the wrong side. He's dead, it's not funny. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's laughing. His tiny corpse was found deep in an underground... Oh, tiny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this is bad. His tiny corpse was found deep in an underground chamber by Ministry of Agriculture experts ahead of a planned badger gassing programme near Tregurran, West Wales. Oh, and expert CSI teams had to use fingertip technology to remove his body from the six foot deep burrow. What? Six feet deep? Badger set, really? Sources close to the investigation said Percy was clothed, but parts of his corpse had been partially gnawed by animals. It is not yet clear how Percy died, though suicide had not been ruled out. Oh, God. Movie producer... What, what? Movie producer Dexter Yamenka said Percy was a little guy with big problems. He didn't say that. 
He didn't say you're going to be problems. He's too, um, he too scripted, little guy being problems. He was doing well, but he was under pressure 24-7, like everyone in this goddamn business. Mm. <laughs> but, well, I don't I think it's suicide, because he's six. Can I rewind? Yeah. If you were to commit suicide, yeah. what's one of the least things that pops into your mind? Eating by a badger. Yeah. I mean, putting getting on a badger's set. Yeah. Like... And again, I feel a little misled by the by the headlines. Is eaten by a badger, and yet we've got into the story. He said his clothes have been gnawed a little bit. He's yeah. hardly eaten by a badger, but, but again, like, yeah. it's not suicide. Suicide, you're taking tablets, you're hanging yourself, you're throwing yourself <sighs> in all sorts of places. Yeah. You, you're not burrowing six feet deep into a badger set. No. A friend of Gordon Ramsay said he had not fucking heard about tragic Percy's death. Rubbish. Didn't. No one asked Gordon Ramsay. No, if, what, what, yeah, you, you wouldn't go and ask Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay doesn't know this man from Adam. That's <laughs> one thing. So, why, but what they've then done is the guy wouldn't have sworn in that sentence. I have no, what did he say? Say it again. Said he had not fucking heard. Yeah. There's no need for him to add the fucking. And, and they've added the fucking because it's Gordon Ramsay. They've added, yeah, but yeah, it's not Gordon Ramsay, it's Gordon Ramsay's friend. Yeah. But they've added it to make it sound more realistic. An inquest has been opened and adjourned. So, basically, what's happened here, I reckon. I reckon what's happened here, right, is they have found a body of a dwarf who, let's be honest, has got blonde hair. <laughs> That's kind of it, really. Looks a tiny bit like Gordon Ramsay. Mm. I'm, I'm gonna say this is my, this is what I reckon. I don't even think he's a poster. I reckon he was just a dwarf, and they've elaborated this whole story. Just a dwarf. Yeah. I don't think that much of that's real, but that's a Sunday Sport exclusive, as always. Sunday I do not think, I just don't, I can't get my head around, I don't think that that's even anywhere close to have happened. No, no. Like, yeah, you can argue that he's, you know, he, I mean, you can't argue that he's a dwarf, he's a dwarf. You can argue he looks a little like Gordon Ramsay. That's about as far as the headline gets it correct. Yeah. The eaten by badgers is incorrect, he wasn't. He was gnawed by animals. He was gnawed, he's clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, yeah, uh, maybe it was a porn star, maybe it was, maybe like, it was what he was, but that, that actually has absolutely nothing to do with the, the story. No. What he's done as a profession is not really right. coming into that. Yeah. But it, I, I just don't think that it's suicide. I just, no, no, I, I don't, I don't think it's like, I think they, they, they just leave out the, very, the details, because there's an expert CSI team there, and the inquest has been opened and adjourned. And they haven't said anything else about yeah. what they think has happened. So think about what right, you're gonna kill yourself, right? And then let's just say you do pick the unusual mode of suicide and you your choice is I'm gonna climb down a badger set. What is it about climbing down a badger set that kills you? No, because by the time you were close to death, you would have got out because the human body wants to survive, like you would kick in. You know, you know people. Well, I suppose drown and stuff. You can't just you can't just go. I'm going to drown and walk into the sea without anything holding you down. You can't you just hold your head. You up. just go up. You, yeah. you naturally come back up. Same thing with that. You wouldn't have gone into them and gone right. I'm going to stay. No, I'm going to fight the urge. No, you get out. Like the guy with like the guy the other week with the hide and seek champion didn't happen because yeah. he got locked in that cupboard. It yeah. didn't happen. Yeah. Because you get out. Yeah. It's just really, yeah. Anyway, Sunday Sport again delivering an amazing story. There. Just like with that hide and seek champion, you've got to think that it's not. It's in just like the day. This, it, there was a point just before he died where he was probably thinking, fucking, I'm dying. <laughs> and, and yet the, the story yeah. leads you to believe that he's he's still seeing it through. Yeah. And he's just staying there that long he's, like, because he's so committed to the hide and seek. Yeah. No, you've got to think about this guy, you're talking maybe 24 hours before death, 
think about what that guy is feeling. Because yeah. the guy wasn't in there to commit suicide, he was there to win a game. So you think 24 hours before death, he's probably hungry, he's probably thinking, Roger, I don't like this, this is this is a game of David Blaine in that box, remember? And he was just like, there was points at which he was just like, he wanted to really get out. Yeah. And he was like, he was close to like fucking yeah. passing out. So know? this guy, he, he he's not attempting suicide. You don't call into a badger set and no. hope to be eaten by badgers. Like no. it doesn't it doesn't happen. And how long would you have to stay in there to get eaten by badgers and to die? Yes. You'd be in there weeks. How long would it take you to die without food? It would be weeks, surely. Well, two, yeah. two. It's, it's water, isn't it, first? It would be water, yeah, because it wouldn't be food. It's Mr. AB, who lasted over a year. Yeah. So it'd be water. Five days, six days? Yeah. So he's still, he, he's he's laid in there at day four, still in there thinking, fuck it, come on. Give it the drink now. Is it, yeah, is there something a bit quicker? There's a spa around the corner. Rubbish. Absolutely yeah. rubbish. Anyway, there you go. Cheers, Cheers Mitch. Mitch for that Sunday sport. Cheers. But um, anyway, we'll leave it there. I hope that was a good one. Um, just rambling in, didn't we? As always. I'll interview Mike then next time. It wasn't much of an interview. It was more of a conversation. Yeah. Like started about, off, our, about our past. Yeah. So there we go. Anyway, have a good one. Like, share, subscribe, post on your wall. Pin it to your wall. Poke someone. Yeah, that's it. Flag it up. All that. Whatever it is. One of those bits and bobs. Done.